Like, you shouldn't set up your junior hockey league to sound like an abusive relationship. Yeah, Yeah, that's such a good point. Hello and welcome to Where's My Stick? I'm Danielle. I'm Christy. And I'm Kelsey. And today we are going to talk about a little junior and youth hockey. It's definitely not a conversation we'd want to have, but it's definitely important to have this conversation and see, honestly, what the hell is going on in junior hockey? There have been multiple articles um, that have come out in the past two weeks that have talked about like some really awful things happening within the uh, Canadian junior hockey and the team USA youth hockey um, leagues, uh, even their like Olympic team. So yeah, we're going to get into that. Um, these stories of these stories that we're going to talk about are relatively new, but I mean, ever since I was a hockey fan, I did hear rumblings about this, nothing too specific and concrete, but I feel like a lot of players, especially players who aren't in the league anymore, have talked about like their time in junior hockey and how toxic and detrimental it's been to their health, um, especially their mental health. So earlier last week, Daniel Carcello and Garrett Taylor uh, came out with a class action suit against the CHL. Their lawyer released a statement saying that these are systematic issues that have been in place for quite a while. There has been a good deal of knowledge in the hockey world that abuses are taking place. And to this day, the league has been very slow to respond to these types of abuse. Uh, In an article from the Hockey News, uh, it said that the class action lawsuit has been filed in Ontario Superior Court of Justice. Uh, alleging that major junior players aged 15 to 17 were routinely victims of hazing, bullying, physical and verbal harassment, physical assault, sexual harassment, and sexual assault. We're not going to go into detail and talk about uh, all everything that specifically happened. I know some of these conversations may be triggering to some of our listeners, so we never want to do that, but uh, we thought it was really important to talk about. It like gets worse the more you read it, and none of this is okay. I don't even understand how, like, how, I don't even understand the what players gain from doing this to other players. It really just blows my mind. Yeah, like some of the things that were that were like depicted was really like horrifying, like truly, truly horrifying, and inhumane things and this is supposed to be somebody that's your teammate that you're gonna depend on in the future like I can't um understand the reasoning to committing these acts like truly truly horrific honestly yeah and I just how is hockey like still a thing like how are these kids I guess sticking with it I mean I don't know it's just what you read is just terrible and you don't know how especially I guess adults in those situations allow it to be considered normal or allow it to go on um, bad enough that you know these other kids think that it's okay I mean I guess I, I I think about like 
the it's tradition right so like the, the coaches when they see it they're just like oh like that's stuff that I went through and it's made me a better person teammate or whatever so it's gonna make them a better um teammate or person and then I'm just like yeah like no <laughs> like no <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense yeah that's not how it works <laughs> but you know you mentioned some coaches christy and throughout uh the articles we will have linked in the show notes um many chl or former chl players have come out and joined the class action suit and shared their own stories and and in a lot of these stories players specifically mentioned that the coach came in during when some of this happened or the medical staff saw the bruises on the players and did nothing, said nothing. And, you know, it's, it really just makes you question, like, how are these people who are supposed to be in charge of these children, because they are children, uh, you know, specifically in Carcillo's uh, class action, they talked about junior players uh, by the age uh, of the age of 15 to 17. So these are children. And these are the people that are supposed to be protected because they're not with their families. They're not with their parents. They're away uh, at the rink or at a tournament or some players live in different cities than their, than their families. So these adults are the ones that are in charge of them and should be protecting them. And yet they just do absolutely nothing. And to touch on another part that you talked about, Christy, you know, like the fact that um, it was done to me and I'm a better person for it. Like that's, that's such a toxic mindset and it's such a scary mindset because, you know, from what I understand with, with certain stuff like that, like, you know, it starts out being not so bad, maybe a little bit, you know, jokes, uh, but then the next generation does it a little bit worse. And the next generation does it a little bit worse. So these things that started off as maybe pranking a player have turned into harassment, physical assault, sexual harassment, sexual assault. Literally, I, I feel so. I feel so. I'm like speechless. I don't know what to say. Yeah. This is hard to. It was hard to read. It's hard to even comprehend. And you know, one of the players that came out. Uh, and specifically talk about his experience you could just see like when he was talking about it he was just like still decades later dumbfounded he he said like I I just can't understand how nobody said anything nobody thought hey this is wrong and that is like it's heartbreaking to say that like that is such a statement that is so relevant in this situation in society in general you know, in so many different uneven power dynamics, uh, these situations happen. And it's just, you know, I, no wonder these players are affected mentally and emotionally from the trauma that they experience in junior hockey. Yeah. I keep trying to, like, conceptualize, like, how this is a thing. But then I remember the ages that they are. Like, these kids they're 15 7 15 to 17 right and that's when they're the most vulnerable and I'm assuming 
none of them ever go to college and it kind of reminds me of like the fraternity hazing that goes on when you go to when you go off to college I so, was just thinking about that truly so it's it's just like when it comes to hazing it's about like we're we're gonna do this terrible thing to you but once you do it you're in and like okay and then you get ingrained in that system and then you start to believe it when it's your turn because there's always the belief like once you're in like I don't have to suffer through it anymore so I'm going to be able to do it to the next person and then like it's a never-ending cycle so that's why I'm kind of glad that Carcillo is just like no this is not cool to potentially end the cycle and like even have something done because even if the class action lawsuit doesn't um even if they don't win at least it's something that's in people's minds and like maybe people can start to see like hey like this is really fucked up let's try to stop yeah and I I think that along those same lines it's maybe one of the reasons that you know there has been sort of an escalation over the years from what um from some of what is reported um because it's I feel like the people who have already gone through you know these hazing rituals or this um abuse are they want to gain something back by almost making it worse for the next you know quote-unquote class coming up um and I I do feel like they try to frame it as like a point of pride to have gotten through this. And now you're like on the team, you're one of the guys, like all this sort of camaraderie sort of thing, but it's like, just do trust falls. (laughs) Do the thing that they do with the clothes in the rafters or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like I see players that are coming out have gone through like years of trauma, like because of this. Because of yeah. what's happening. So it's just like, I don't even, I don't even understand the thought process. And hockey itself is just, you know, it's so crazy. But the one thing that you said about, like, you know, people coming out and, and bringing this to light, and they may not win their class action suit, but now we're talking about this and we're, you know, looking into this. I... <laughs> I don't even know if this is, like, useful to say that the authorities should look into this because I don't know how good of a job they might do. But, like, this is crazy. Like, this is... Yeah. I don't know. I don't... Something has to change. Something has to happen. And there... Like, the CHL, junior hockey cannot be so big that this... that, That it can continue to go unchecked. And that this can continue to happen to so many kids. I almost feel like they have to have, like, a completely impartial, like, third-party board set up or something. So that either there's someone looking out for these sort of warning signs or there's, like, an impartial place where players can, you know, submit anonymous or not anonymous, depending on, you know, whatever they want to do, um, you know, like requests or warnings or saying, you know, hey, this is going on. And then because I feel like if they bring it up to their coach, their coach is, you know, like we saw adults are present and adults see and adults know. So I think having some like third party where they can take these concerns 
and maybe those people would be able to step in and, you know, do investigations and, you know, try to try to cut this stuff out. Yeah. The, yeah, you're right, Kelsey. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, Chrissy, you brought this to my attention a, a couple of days ago, but a former OHL player, Eric Guest, uh, released a video talking about how he was forced to do drugs at a team party as a rookie. Uh, this happened about four years ago, um, and the inc- incident is currently being investigated. Now, this is separate from the Carcillo and Taylor class action suit, but again, another example of young players being forced against their will for hazing, for what? Like, being locked in the bathroom and saying you have to do a drug, I, like, what? I, I don't even understand why that's something that you would want to do for a player. But, and and poor Eric, like, he, you could tell the video, he was, like. He was still shaken up about He was, it. Sh- like, very shaken about what he was saying. And, like, even that, like, he was saying, like, you know, this just happened to me. I could only speak to myself, like. You know, the fact that he's speaking up on this, about this, just shows, like, and, and so, you know, having to to continuously say, like, this just happened to me, this just happened to me, as if, like, you know, going against the green is so wrong in hockey. It just, it really, like, when you, when you see things like this, it really just it reinforces, like, they really are, like, it's beat into them that they cannot, there is no I. There is no Mm -hmm. you, like, anymore. It's you are about the team, and you can't get the team in trouble, even if the team is toxic and detrimental to you. And that's that's really scary when you think of it that way. To be scared to to speak out is so... That's terrifying. That's terrifying. Yeah. Something that really struck me with Eric's video was that I don't even think the the person that was telling him to do the drug or whatever was that much older than him but he kept saying like oh he was drafted like what am I supposed to do like he was drafted and then like in my mind I'm just like okay y'all are on the same team like it doesn't matter but like it's just so I don't like I feel like it's so ingrained in them that the NHL is like the goal that this person who y'all are on the same team like y'all are on the same playing level because he was drafted he had a higher status than him and then he felt like he had to listen to what he was saying because of it it was just really I don't know it just sounded just so abusive and toxic anything that had to do with hockey when you look at it like when you think about it like it makes sense that you know these like these drafted players especially in the lower level leagues they're the ones that are highly touted they're the ones that the everyone's coming to see like they probably can do no wrong in in the coach's eyes because you know their success or their game like how they play is so connected to the team itself and to, to the coach and you know getting getting to the playoffs and winning a championship or anything like that and I mean you know that uh, we see this in the NHL First overall picks, the best or the best, uh, the best player on the team most likely is the captain. It's very rarely that the best player on a team isn't the captain. Yeah. So the beginning, people who are the best are always always have 
a louder voice or if you're the oldest it's we like you see that on the NHL team so it makes complete sense that it's on a a junior team and and those kids like I'm not saying that there's no power dynamics in the NHL because there absolutely is but I can absolutely see the power dynamics in a youth hockey team because like you said Christy like when you're 15 17 you're at your most vulnerable you don't like you know being a teenager is not easy like you know going like, and they're trying to prove themselves also. exactly like you're vulnerable and you're trying to prove that you're not vulnerable exactly and you know the toxic masculinity that is just literally in every ingrained in every stitch of hockey you know these players never want to be seen as weak or speaking up or anything like that um and it's just like it's just a cocktail for absolute chaos, which is what we're seeing uh, throughout all, so many of these articles that we that have come out recently. It's like these these leagues are filled with kids, so it's like um, you have them running wild in the asylum, and then the adults are just like watching them do it and just be like, "Oh, those kids! Ah, to be young again!" And it's just like, "No, this is dangerous." Yeah, or the the adults are, like, joining in on the fun. Like, how many times have, I mean, like, we could talk about Akima Lu's article when he talked about Bill Peters and, you know, or the the trainer that came to his junior uh, team dressed up in blackface as to make a joke about him. So it's like the people who are the adults in the situation there needs to be like I mean I don't know I think like is it the the easiest part to say is just to fire everyone like I don't know <laughs> I'm ready to burn it down like I'm ready to tear down junior hockey and build it back up because these kids are not safe and that's terrifying I just don't even know like what to say in this situation yeah it is crazy um but like we said it's not just junior hockey I mean there's a story that came out recently um, about USA hockey, which or USA sled hockey, but surprise, surprise, USA hockey overall is just complete garbage. Well, look at um, them running it. <laughs> there you go. Um, Katie String, who is an who is a writer for the Athletic, she comes out with some of the like most gut wrenching articles. Like a lot of the stories she writes are important stories that need to be told in hockey. And it just, it breaks my heart to read every single one. But this one that she came out with recently is called Uncomfortable and Scared, Abuse Allegations Inside the USA Hockey Sled Program. Uh, And this story specifically follows one um, young girl who is a part of the hockey, the USA Hockey Sled Program. And it's so crazy because it starts off like, so innocent saying like she found a home she found something that she enjoyed she found something that she was good at she found a family with sled hockey and she loved until you know she was taken advantage of and um in her story um she was so she was sexually harassed by a player on the men's uh hockey sled team and she came out and spoke to a superior and I guess the USA Hockey's like safe program um, and filed a complaint. 
and then one of the higher ups on like in uh, men's sled hockey also was sending her and another one of her teammates wildly inappropriate text messages singling them out to the point where you know um, I won't go into complete like exact detail but it just was putting her in very very uncomfortable situations and this is a quote um, from the player about uh, the sexual harassment she received from another uh, USA hockey sled men's player she said I remember saying I wish I hadn't told anyone about the player because of the amount of embarrassment and shame that has come from this and the fact that USA Hockey didn't do much for me it's unacceptable and at the end of the article it's possible that once hockey does return the male player who harassed her um, could be a part of the men's national development team and if that happens uh, she could share the ice with him during any sort of joint practice or scrimmage, which is just so wildly inappropriate and just exactly an ex- uh, example of, you know, when victims speak out and still have to face their uh, the person who harassed them is just, I mean, you see it in a lot of different places, but for USA Hockey to do that, and to act like they're they're putting her first when really they did absolutely nothing is just mind-blowing. Yeah, and I mean, one of the quotes you have here is um, from USA Hockey. After being asked about um, if there have been any provisions put in place to prevent the two from crossing paths, um, they said, we have made efforts to reduce or eliminate the chance for interaction between the athletes during events managed by USA Hockey. And like, that's that's nothing like you made efforts to reduce or eliminate like if you really made the effort you would have like gotten rid of this guy like it's like before they basically shared a locker room and they shared the ice all the time now they might share the ice sometimes (laughs) yeah and like how is he not kicked off the team like in the article it's talked about multiple times where there was text messages and and like actual proof so like i there's no like Oh well, we don't know if it actually happened. Like it happened, you you seen it. I mean, we knew USA Hockey was trash, but like, it's just shocking to know just that like... they're literally garbage all the time. Like not <laughs> some of the time, all the time. They're probably just like, oh, he's too good for us to like not have on the team. Uh-uh. That's even worse. And she's not, like, she's not this elite, like, Olympic-level player. Like, I don't Exactly. She was on the ice playing in the Olympics at the age of 13. And I believe she is 18 or 19 now. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, Again, this, a lot of this reminds me of um, the USA Gymnastics team. Mm -hmm. Not exactly, but, like, the fact that they've, stuff has come out and they try to just, like, act like they're doing things and they're doing nothing. Right. And it's she's just, just like the unsafe. one person that came out and said yeah. anything. Like, imagine, like, all the other girls and women that probably have been harassed that didn't say anything. Exactly. All to do with sport that they love and that they found friendship and family and acceptance in. Despicable. Truly. Truly it is. So, with that... um, 
I mean, like, what do you guys think it is about junior hockey or, you know, hockey organizations such as USA Hockey, um, the CHL, the OHL? What is it about them that allows such a toxic and harmful environment for children? Um, I think it's a lot of what you two have said about um, partially it being the ages that these players are at um, and that they're, you know, vulnerable and, you know, going through a lot. Um and it is sort of like the perfect, like perfect storm for them to get caught up in these sorts of situations. Not so much the victims, but more just like it's in a position for them to try to act out and, you know, uh, brick away that vulnerability by um, sort of going along with the team mentality and perpetuating this behavior on, you know, sort of the, the next class. And you also mentioned that, um, you know, there, I think that hockey is so unique in these junior leagues because, you know, you have the um, players a lot of the time, like going and living with a totally different family in a totally different area. And that's a big upheaval of their lives and they don't have, you know, maybe their support system. They don't. So I think it's just this like perfect storm for stuff like this to happen. Right. And they also don't want to be, like, that guy. And then, because their spots are almost never guaranteed anyway. So it's just, like, that constant, like, oh, I don't want to upset anything because I don't, like, I don't want to get kicked off the team or I want to get ice time or whatever. They're always fighting. Like, it's just the lack of power on the player's part. So, like, if, a, if somebody who does have power tells you to do something, you're going to do it because you want what they have basically right and then for perpetrators i feel like they're holding on to the little bit of power that they do have by doing these things to their victims yeah i don't know there's no accountability for like put in place for the league for the um the team, the organization, the coaches to be fair and to treat these kids fair. Because from what we've seen, like this is just like not naturally what's going to happen. Like the coaches and the training staff and anyone, it's just not in their first reaction to help these kids and to make sure that they are, you know, emotionally and mentally okay. And nothing, nothing, no harassment is going on within their organization there's no like if that's just not a natural inclination for them then it's such a main reason for why it's just continuing because like i mean you can't say like oh it's i mean this this has been happening for so long it's so ingrained in hockey the hazing and the lack of empathy and and I don't even know treating people with freaking respect. I don't know like what that would be called, but, um, but one point I did want to say is that like, you know, you cannot change certain power dynamics in hockey. For instance, you know, if you are a player that is, that has a lot of skill, you're going to be on the first line. Like, that's just, I don't know if that'll ever change. But there's something that needs to happen to level that that uh, 
that power dynamic some way when it's when everyone's off the ice because um, it's clear that the coaches aren't doing that yeah and then there's so many different opportunities for there to be like uneven power dynamics in terms of age skill level like um whether they're a rookie or not just there's so many different things that all uh bunch up together just to create such a toxic environment and I think like the fact that a lot of these kids are playing away from home when they're so young they don't have anybody around them that can see when something is off and when they're not acting like themselves like I'm sure like the the billet families are great but they don't know you like your parents know you I also feel like being away from their family helps sort of create this obsession with the team because that's sort of all you have I mean of course I'm sure that they still have like contact with their parents and you know their friends back home but like in your day-to-day life you only have you know your teammates and that's like Mm -hmm. and of course again the billet families I'm sure are are great and do what they can but But they're also still strangers yeah yeah they are right you know you're spending day in and day out with this community and you might I mean you don't want to be at risk of losing that in any way yeah and the fact that you know the outside pressures that some of these kids face you know your parents are paying a lot of money for this for you to you know especially if you get to that um the OHL where you could be drafted your parents have spent a lot of money to keep you into into the sport if you if something goes wrong and you lose your spot on the team, then thousands of dollars goes down the drain. You know what I'm saying? Like I can mm-hmm. see why that, right. you know, why that's another pressure, added pressure for the kids. And you're right, Kelsey, when you say that the kids are isolated, like they are plucked from where they're comfortable around people that has their best interests at heart. And they're put into situations where they are, um, you know, and I think Eric Guest talked about this, how, like, you know, you don't have a voice as a young player. You don't have, you, you really don't have anything. Um, you're supposed to sit there and do as you're told. So with that mentality and that, you know, that's how you're being treated. No wonder these kids are just so, are so devastated. And, and, and even now, decades later, have so many problems because of this. Everything that, like, I'm hearing, like, in terms of um, players being isolated, not really having anyone to talk to, like, all of this sounds like an abusive relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) just, like, and, you know, like, um, having them have, like, no confidence and being super dependent on the league or whatever. And it's just, like, this is not, like, you shouldn't set up your junior hockey league to sound like, uh, abusive relationships. Yeah, yeah that's that, such a good point. That is actually very true. Oh. Um. So I mean, with everything that we said, what are some realistic changes that you guys think can happen? I mean, I said earlier that I want them. I want to burn it all down and start new. Which I don't think. I mean. I have no faith in any hockey organization, so I don't think that will ever happen. But what are some realistic changes that you guys think could? Maybe just, like, 
an impartial presence in even just the locker rooms. <laughs> Someone just there to like try to cut down on hazing there. I'm not, I don't. Yeah. I want to be like, oh, all the players should have to like go to counseling for, <laughs> a, for like, I don't know, like six weeks or whatever. So that they can realize that what has happened to them is a traumatic experience and that the only way for them to stop it is for them to stop it. Like we can't, like we can't um, take back like what has happened to you. And I understand that like, oh, there is the feeling of like, oh, I have to pass this on because I went through it. But, like, having them understand that, like, no, you don't have to do it because now that we're talking about it, you're realizing that this was a really traumatic thing for you. And you shouldn't want to and you shouldn't want to have to do do that to others. But um, you can't help people that don't want to be helped. So forcing everybody to go to counseling might not be the best no, I mean, you're right. You can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. But I think you can help someone who doesn't know they need to be helped. Like, once you educate people and show and like show them the signs, there will be people that I think, or players that I think will step up and, and try to get help. Um, you know, what I was thinking kind of like the same route as you, Christy. I mean, mine was, it's, it's realistic in the sense that, you know, I, I think this could actually help. I don't know if this is, I mean, this isn't something that the NHL would do because it is expensive, but I think that every team should have a social worker and or a therapist that speaks to the kids. And then all of the coaches, the front office, the training staff, everyone don't needs they to go see to doctors. Yeah. Yes. So, like, everyone needs to go through a training of, like, understanding what a power dynamic is, how it's affecting the kids mentally, emotionally, what their job is, how they can combat it, and give them, like, tools. Like, maybe this is, like, a six-week program that they do every year. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to sign a, a legal contract saying, if I do not, if I know, if I'm aware of this, this is happening and I do nothing, I'm fired and I am not allowed to coach for USA Hockey. And USA Hockey or whatever hockey program is allowed to, like, specifically state why. So that, you know, they understand or, you know, your other jobs, they'll show, like, this is what you did. And this is all the things. And I also think, and I mean, this is, like, a caveat because I don't know if any player would want to do this. But, you know, for example, Dan Carcillo, to talk to junior hockey players and say, this is what I had to go through. This is what they said to me. This is the toxic situation. This is not normal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know, you know, because if players or, you know, young kids see players who actually played in the NHL talk about, this is what happened to me. This is not normal. This is how it, like, affected my life. This is what I had to do to get my life back. Mm -hmm. Then I think it's more, they may be able to internalize it more, understand it, and actually try to change it and be more willing to accept the changes that are happening. Yeah. I think in, I, I like that idea, but I also wanted to add, like, I think in whatever workshop or training that any, um, any of the players 
like the front office has through I think it's really really important to emphasize like your role Mm -hmm. in the cycle of abuse so like yes what you're gonna tell um older players is gonna be different than what you're gonna tell rookies and what you're gonna tell rookies is gonna be different than what you're gonna tell coaches because they all have a different role to play and I don't think that like just being like this is abuse and this is what it looks like I don't think that would be um helpful because they'll they're not gonna see it as as abuse yeah exactly no I think that's a really good point um and this is all like doable but like that's what people don't understand is that like you're gonna have to spend money to like change this like you can't like because however like the way it was going is not working so Mm -hmm. like you like these things that we've talked about are necessary like you need to have that you need to have that six-week program you need to have specific people design a um educational tools for the gfs the the coaches like you said different ones for each one and you need to be in constant conversation this isn't just like a one-year thing this is for the rest of the foreseeable future because the problems are so deeply ingrained in the fabric of the sport that mm-hmm. it's not just a one and done that will be able to fix this. Yeah. But these leagues have to like want to do it. And like having having a having a social worker or, or like a mental health counselor on hand. I I feel like most teams should do that. It's really hard. Well, it's not that hard. But trying to get someone in a role and having um, hiring, being like, yes, we're going to get a social worker or a counselor is one thing, but actually allowing them to do their work and taking yeah. their input is another. That's a really good point. And I mean, that's another wall that comes up whenever we talk about any of these like positions and and any any person like you know the same thing could be said about like people of color in the room or women in the room you know what I'm saying like you can have that person there but if you don't listen and understand and take what they're saying and you know implement it then what's the point but it's like it shouldn't be like these these teams and these leagues want to change like you like what you're doing is not working so you have to change like The way you're treating children is not ethical. I cannot believe that child protective services have not interfered because Because they're not with their families. Yeah, but this is child anywhere. Anywhere. There's like people should be able like there should be protection for children that they do not they should not be like subjected to this. I mean, I know that's not child protective services role. I get that. I know that. And I know that they are probably like someone who works with them is probably like, girl, do not put that on my plate because it's already overflowing. I get that. But I'm just saying that like how many times has this been said or this is like people have come out and nothing has happened. Like it just we just cannot keep going on about it the way that we're going on, which is say like doing nothing, knowing that these these problems are here and doing absolutely nothing so you know I just think it should be mandatory if you want to have a hockey team okay you have to follow this rules you have to make sure that none of your freaking players are experiencing lifelong trauma 
And, like, wouldn't you want your player to be able to not go through so much abuse that they can't sit when they play hockey and when they're not playing, they're sitting? Not, like, honestly, like, I'm, I'm of the mindset that I can't even approach this as someone with, like, general empathy and sympathy and knowing right and wrong because it's clear they don't. It's it's clear right. that either they do know or they just don't care. Because like what's happening, like it was so hard to read. So I can't imagine like seeing this happen like people that actually see this happen and do nothing. I don't get that. But honestly, the, uh, there's a lot in these articles and what we're talking about that I physically cannot comprehend because it's mind blowing that you would want to treat anyone like that, let alone your teammate, let alone a kid that you're coaching I don't know it like makes me sick to my stomach so was there anything else on this topic that maybe I skipped through that you guys wanted to talk about maybe in the class action lawsuit like they I wonder if they can suggest any changes and maybe they could um, suggest like having someone like a counselor or a social worker for teams Chatted. I saw this interview with um, Brock McGillis, who was asked about the um, the um, abuse things, and he's just put it in. I think what a lot of us are feeling into into good words, where he's saying uh, they have to humanize these issues, and that you know there's a lot that should be done in hockey that's not being done because people at the top are sort of gatekeeping it. So I think we really have to take a look. Yes, us three here at the podcast have to um, be like, have to look at, you know, the GMs and the presidents of these teams and um, just try to work instead of from the bottom up, work from the top down and, um, you know, make it so that you're putting people in power who do listen and who do care and would listen to, you know, social workers and um, therapists and, yeah. That's a that's a really good point. And, you know, currently, I don't know how we can we can change the top, but um, definitely going to keep an eye out and an ear to Twitter to find out how we can and and stuff like that. I'm very interested to see how this moves forward. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out on it and we'll definitely have to keep um, talking about it and, and updating everyone who's listening because this is important. And as. You know, as fans of hockey who have a podcast, I think it's like kind of one of our duties to talk about this situation and to keep the conversation going because it's so easily dismissed, especially when we're distracted by, you know, the hockey season restarting or, you know, other hobbies that we have started quarantined and something <laughs> like that, you know. So it's easy to get distracted and not think of this again until another heartbreaking article comes out. But um, you know, we'll really have to do our part to continue the conversation, help where we can. Yeah. And I think we're all fans of like growing the game and the NHL is always trying to grow the game or whatever, but like who, I'm not recommending anyone to play hockey if I know that yeah. I'm sending them to go through all of this. So I do think it's really, really important to try to change it if, it should be important to try to change everything that's happening if the NHL wants to grow the game. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, could you imagine like being a parent now and like, okay, your kid wants to go off and play junior hockey and you're seeing all this and you're like, eh. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Let's do soccer or something. Yeah. 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 Lacrosse. Canadians love for lacrosse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But with that, we uh, want to thank everyone so much for listening to today's episode. You can always reach us on Twitter at where's underscore my underscore stick. Uh, we always want to hear from you guys. And uh, with that, have a good day. Bye. Bye. Bye.